Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vettel, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome back to another Level of Latina episode. Today is episode 133, and we are going to be talking about a beautiful book that we've all been reading. So this is right after our Guilt-Free Squad book club call. So we're going to be sharing a little bit of some of the uh, things that came up during our conversation with our Guilt-Free Squad. For many of you, if you know and have you been following us, we've been reading the book for brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts, a love letter to women of color by Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. And if you can tell by the sound of my voice, you know that I have been chillando, but I am a chillona <laughs> that is a chingona. So don't worry, be happy. So many great nuggets here to take away. And before we get into that, let's check in with Ceci Nirene, my beautiful, wonderful co-hosts y amigas del alma. ¿Cómo se encuentran mujeres? How are we feeling after this beautiful call we just had? It was good. It was good. Yo, yo, eso es que yo no he terminado el libro. Me quedan two and a half chapters, but um, I loved it. I loved, um, you know, sharing space with our guilt-free squad members and even our non-members who have who wanted to join the book club. So I feel like um, this comes a conversation we're about to have se va a poner eh, igual de buena. And, um, you know, we, we're it's a space for us to be vulnerable, share experiences and how uh, the book resonated with us. I agree, Ceci. I think when we're vulnerable, it really helps us connect. It was my favorite call to date. It was led by a Girl Free Squad member, the whole sort of process. It was their idea to read this. I just love that it creates a space for women to be vulnerable and share things they've never shared before or for women to cry together. And maybe you grew up being told that crying was bad or for women to rebel. Maybe you were growing up thinking that rebelling was bad. So the book really challenged us to think about all the ways that we grew up and all the stuff we need to heal from. So the call was cool. And I'm sure this episode is going to be, like Ceci said, equally as impactful. My God, you say healing. Whoa, are we doing some healing with this book? It's touching on a lot of little things of, you know, a lot of little topics and there's a lot of little nuggets, but topics that, that are going to bring up things that you didn't remember or that you didn't know were there. I know that, you know, she talks about everything from white passing. I was, I mentioned in our conversation that I had never read that so often in a book. And then, you know, I come across, you know, I'm reading the book here and, and it's like white passing, white passing. And I'm like, yeah, I've experienced that, you know, because I am a light skinned Latina erasing part of who we are. There's, you know, the toxic masculinity that resonated with, you know, other women and that were, we were reading this book and how, even though, and the, the different kinds of, like how that affects us. You know, there's the, we talked about verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and then there's a physical aspect of it and how it triggers, it go, trickles down from not just it being the the men, like the, the the parents or the fathers in the family, but it trickles down to, you know, the, the, the sons that are growing up to be these men, becoming these men and that, you know, get exposed to this toxic masculinity to where it's okay to do certain things and they feel like it's their right to do it. But there's, you know, the, the the conversation of meritocracy and how we're constantly like always going for the next thing and trying to get more degrees under our belt or get that next, you know, the title. And and it's a constant struggle because I, at one point we're just like, am I good enough? Am I even supposed to be here? And then imposter syndrome, like, man, this girl just really gets into it. And le agradezco, la neta, la pura verdad, le agradezco 
pero let's get a little bit into uh, the conversation about, you know, what part for you ladies, um, en la, en la que partes chillaron como yo en el principio, abrí el libro y chillé. Pero, you know, like really what, what kind of like um, stood out for you? One part you want to share right now. Yeah, we, we have like really taken a deep dive. You're right, Vero. Like what isn't covered? I think some stuff that we, I'll, I'll share just some stuff that I didn't share earlier during the Guilt Free Squad that really, that maybe the first time that I cried, I think was with, this is the myth of meritocracy. This chapter really resonated with me because she talks a lot about where you first kind of learn to play small and not outshine and not be this big vibrant thing. And you're kind of put in your place. You stay in your lane and women already have to face that. And then being a Latina woman. And so there's some strong pieces in here about her being like, there was these gatekeepers in her life that tried to keep her from AP classes. And there were gatekeepers in her life that wouldn't even give her the writing tutoring they said she needed. And it's like, who's going to help her? Like there was nobody to help her. And so she's saying she had to get a little rough. She had to get a little angry. She had to not play nice. And then, damn, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't, because we're being taught to be these really good girls and behave how our parents want us to behave. And these good little religious girls or these good little quiet girls, but then you're, you have nothing. If, if no one is, is making space for you or being loud for you or seeing you or helping you, like she couldn't play nice when the AP counselor was trying to keep her out of AP classes. She sat there and lied her teeth and mistranslated what her mom was saying. And her mom is saying, maybe you should do what the counselor says, which is not take AP classes, which would have led for her not going to college, which would have led for her not going to graduate school. Like all these places where the doors were shut for her, like she has to shine in spite of that. And how many women can resonate with that? Like maybe we don't know we're doing it. Maybe we don't know what's happening to us, but there's all these messages of us not belonging. And so I really cried in that first moment, that first moment of like, man, you really got to fight to belong or you got to deal with shit when you do feel like you belong or you do feel that you have gifts or that you're special. Like she just knew she had it. She knew she belonged in that AP class. What was it about her, right? Like, how did she know she belonged there? How did she know not to give up? How did she know not to fight for it? Like so many of us have those moments where we just know in our guts, sometimes we don't even know why. Like her intuition tells us like, this is for me. Like, you can't tell me this isn't for me. Lots of women on the guilt-free squad call earlier have little examples of how one of my clients said that her counselor told her, don't apply to those colleges. You're not going to get in and it's a waste of money. And she got into those colleges. Like, damn, like all those moments where we have to rebel a little, right? We got to rebel. We got to shine yeah. because society is keeping us down. That was the first Chiyona moment for me. That's um, that's a good one, though. Academics, that's one of the first things we face where we, you know, as students, you can be young, you know, or like think about if you're not a mom, fine, you're not a mom, don't, you know, it's not about thinking about your kids, but like, if you're a cousin, if you're a tia, think about all those little ones escuela, and the things they have to face and do they have the support? Are you providing that support? And sometimes we feel like we have to be hands off because like, pues son los hijos de mi prima, o son los hijos de mi hermano, like, ¿qué tiene? No, we need to be involved because if these kids don't feel that they can muster up the courage to ask their teachers, their counselors for help and guidance, then guess what? You can step in and be like, no, tú, si necesitas ayuda, let's find you the help that you need. Let's find you, you know, let's make sure we talk to your teachers and, you know, all that good stuff. So we face it as early as just in academics. And that's a large part of our life because what do our parents teach us? Go to school, sobresale en la escuela be exceptional in school, then you're going to get the job that you want. And then you're going to make the money that you need and you won't be where I'm at. So that's, a, it's, um, it's something that definitely we can all identify with in one way or another. And Ceci, what was the part for you? I think like you too, I got, my eyes got watery at the very beginning where she's, you know, she's writing, dear brown girl, you know, you, you have this fire inside of you and it comes from your mommy's side. 
And um, so that part for me, I was like, oh my God, that's that's so true. And so, and how it speaks to, you know, you persevering uh, for yourself first, antes que nada, and, but also for your mommy, your papi, tu hermanita, and then those that come after you. I feel like she had, like the way she connects with the reader uh, from from page one is brilliant. And and just the fact that she's sharing all this and how so many of us, no matter what shade, you know, of, of a brown girl we are, we there's there's one point at least that we connect with her in this book. And I'm still, you know, I'm still not done with it, but but I already I feel like I've so many you know bits and pieces that I that totally resonate. Like um, we talked about this in the Guilfi Squad, like the the story about how there's certain circles that you you feel uplifted in, and others where you feel suppressed. And for me, that that was like law school. I feel that when I talked about law school, or the fact that I was even going to law school, I just felt uplifted within my community back home with my my siblings, my cousins. Um, but when I got there, I saw very few people that look like me, very few Latinos that they too were first in their family to go to law school. And there was only, I, I mean, I can count them in, in one hand, five of us in probably just under 100 students in that cohort. And it was challenging and I just felt like suppressed. And it was something that I had never felt before because, yes, we were the first to go to college, but I feel like there we had a support and it was a you know a good group of us where we leaned on each other and we all had this like first generation experience. But law school was a whole other different ball game. So that those are that's one of the ways that I saw you know myself reflected in that in this book where she talks about her experience in, in graduate school. We you know when we come from a support system like when we were in college you know we we were able to kind of find women that were like us right that looked like us that kind of have the same upbringing or came from similar backgrounds. And it was very, you know, even though we had that, the, the, then there was a little piece where we're like, we need something more. <laughs> we need something a little more. And, you know, when we became part of Hermanas Unidas, and I feel that that really kept us, that little fire growing, you know, in the sense of like, si, si podemos, somos, you know, yes, we're first generation. It's our first time here. We're doing it. And look, there's so many more like us. And, and I feel that we need to kind of keep that little fire going for the younger generations, for the Latinitas to know that, you know, like, yes, right now there's women that are like going through that first generation experience. They're first in college, they're first in their families doing things. And, and when you at least have that support in college, you know, in your undergrad, it at least makes it slightly, um, it gives you that confidence to, you know, kind of get you through grad school, to get you through, you know, whatever it is you want to follow, whatever dis discipline or, you know, certification, whatever it is you want to do. It gives you that courage. It gives you that confidence to be like, well, you know what? I, I'm good. I think I could do this. And it's always good to remember that there are people out there that can help you too, you know, and, and even if you're the only one in the room, there's going to be somewhere you can find the help and the guidance. And if it's another Latina, great. If it's a but if not, at least you know that there's out there a ver esa ayuda que necesitas. Or you become that. Like you become the one that brings in other people in the room. Like it's your responsibility. I think she mentions that in many moments in the book where she has to be the reverse gatekeeper and say something that's uncomfortable to say. And yeah. stand up against racism and be bold, even though you know you're going to get so much shit in this world when you're bold. I think that's why I was emotional in that piece. But I realize now looking at my notes and what Tessie was saying, how it starts so strong. Like I actually cried well before that 
chapter three. Like she gets you, she gets you in the heart. There's like a part in imposter syndrome when she talks about how she devalued her mom's prayers. Like her mom had so much belief in her and she didn't value it early on. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot with our relationship with our mommies, with our daddy. She says mommy and papi. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. for those of us grab right, with those of us grappling with <laughs> me, mommy, I think Latinas, we have more of mommy issues, eh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? Or or yeah. had, in her case, she had like a terrible puppy, terrible brother. But so those of you that are listening, you're wondering kind of we're all over the place with the book because there's a lot in this book, by the way, and there's chapters that are called like volunteerism from that to toxic masculinity to white fragility back to imposter syndrome back to the male gaze intersectionality so there's something for everybody in this book and you're going to be surprised that every chapter will likely speak to you it will i i thought i assumed some chapters would not speak to me and boy was i wrong so there's the mommy issues the religious issues but there's definitely for me one of the bigger aha moments was thinking about my relationship with my own mother that's rough because i think as um daughters, right? As daughters, it's that relationship with our moms. It's like, it's so special and it takes some time to learn how to value it and love it and really embrace it. Because for a long time, our moms are just the people that check us, right? They, they correct us or they tell us, no, I was watching, um, I'm brave with Gali and the kids, right? And um, the moms always like las princesas no se portan así. Las princesas se despiertan con el sol. Las despierta. Las princesas hacen esto. And like she's very like, oh, mamá. And like Gali does that to me. She goes, oh, mamá. But we're so like strict on our daughters. You know these expectations that we want for our daughters, and we want to protect them. And at the same time, we want to find a way to also give them the strength to stand up for themselves. And how do we do it? I mean. I know for me, like my relationship with my mom, it's still, you know, I love my mom. Like we have a relationship now before I, I mean, I've talked about this in the podcast before. I didn't like dislike my mom or anything. I just had a better relationship with my dad and my brother. And when it came down to it, like my mom and my sister were like homegirls. And it was the comparison, the comparison part that I just didn't, you know, didn't kind of resonate with me. I was just like, I don't want to be part of this mean girl group, you know? So <laughs> I feel like no se les quita the mom, the mom part where they always nitpick at the things. They'll be like, oh, pues, you know, with, with Prisca, it was, ponte, you know, pon, no, te, no salgas al sol, ponte crema, like put the sunblock on and don't go to the beach and don't be out there because you're going to, you know, because of the chapter on colorism, right? Um, but like the parts of our moms that are like, in a sense, kind of disregard things or want to make things seem, she, she mentions a part in the, in the chapter of colorism where the, what they tell you is because they care, you know, like, don't take it wrong. I'm telling you this because I care and I love you so much, but these comments that they make, um, or what they, you know, what they tell you when you share something with them, that, you know, that they could be so like dismissive and well, like, it's okay. It happens to everyone or they, or it's like, no, this is unique to me. I'm your daughter. Like, listen to me. Or when you tell them like, mom, stop pointing out that, I don't look good wearing this kind of clothes. Like stop pointing out at my long hat. Like just show me some love. I feel good in this. And you're telling me not to wear this. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. But like there, there always is a way where there's actually an insult within a compliment. Yeah. Right. I mean, oh, but you said it best when we first started talking about this book, by the way, this book, literally before anything, before the table of contents, before the introduction, it is dedicated to the difficult daughters. 
Yeah. Right. And I remember that had resonated with you. You, you were already ready to cry, but when you read that, you're going to make you cry again. Yeah. Right. Because it makes you feel like, man, yeah. that were difficult. Like we almost had to be rebels. And and this author, she created the group Latina Rebels. It's 30. Yeah. Vero has that super highlighted for the difficult daughters. She has like 350,000 people when the book was written that follow this Latina rebels concept. And it's because it's like, we're kind of stuck between two worlds. We're judged by our mamas. We're judged by our religion. We're judged by our daddies, by the vecina, by this, by that. You almost have to be difficult to survive. Mm -hmm. And in the book, it's like self-preservation. Like you just have to do what you got to do. You got to ignore what doesn't serve you and shine. You got to embrace what does serve you, but it may also be sending you mixed messages. She has a whole chapter about like her idea around men because her dad was, who her brother was, and how she ran to get married very young to get out of her house. How many people can resonate with that? Like making the wrong decision to get out from under your daddy's house. But then you go to another daddy (laughs) and you haven't healed. Your husband becomes this other daddy. And she had to deal with all that when she realized like, who am I? Who am I? I need to be alone. I need to figure out who I am. And now she's remarried and, speaks so beautifully about her husband by the way when the book is done and in the acknowledgments i didn't mean to even hear past that i think it was meant to hear that so i could be grateful for my own husband but she's very aware that like him being a good man helped her be who she is so we grow up with these ideas around men and who men are and sometimes we have to let ourselves be loved by a different kind of man if i could be so bold (laughs) from other people you know it's it's funny because like we we grow up and we get um we get introduced to these ideas of what relationships are, right? Or what marriage is like, or what love is. And for some of us, it'd be like, well, love is just a transaction in the sense of like, well, you provide the, you know, the cooking, the cleaning and this, and then the man provides your, the roof over your head and the food on the table and all that good stuff. Or, you know, we get love that it's, it is a fairy tale. Like, like love could be a fairy tale. It could be todo amor y lo demás que importa. I remember my dad always saying like, casate pobremente, pero casate. Like it doesn't matter if you're, if you have the money, if you have all these things, like just do it. Um, but the thing is that with, you know, when we're growing up, you know, we get introduced to like this masculinity, this toxic masculinity that we're like, I don't want part of that. You know, like we know that our women, our moms in the house, like really run the house. They really operate shit. And then here comes the dad to disturb the peace with their, their, you know, idea that they're the ones who run los pantalones puestos and and then there's you know then you're like well how does this really work like how do we even make this house work so for a long time I even mentioned this in the guilt-free squad call I was like I don't want to get married like all the marriages I've seen have looked like um like okay they're good but they've only served one purpose and it you know, and, and I don't know if I want that. So when my husband asked me to marry him and I was pregnant with our third, I was like, are you sure? Because I don't know. But at the same time, I did say, well, if you're, if you really want to marry me, we're in it for the long run, buddy. Not like we're going to quit halfway. But I think that's a part that we learned. Like, even though our moms go through so much shit sometimes with our, you know, with their husbands, with their partners, um, they keep up with it. They put up with it. And it's kind of the point where like now we need to be able to find what we really want without letting others ideas of what a marriage is or should be. We formulate it. We create that. And and we start making those choices early on on who we date and don't just date blindly, you know, because those people mold us also. They create, do we deserve this love? Do we deserve anything? In regards to those kind of relationships that are, you know, kind of equal, you could say. 
every page is loaded. I'm like, I think of every every page, right? Because now we're like uh, relationships and then there was religion and then there's family dynamics and then there's just you and belonging. Like every chapter has something. I was actually thinking about Ceci as we were saying this because she talks about how in her family, she has a family member who is involved in the church and she debates with this person involved. Oh yeah. yeah. And I think that's good. I think that's great. Like we can't, we don't have to stick to something because that's what, we were programmed to think that we had to stick to like, I love when you shared with the group that you can debate with this gentleman who represents the church debate is okay. Even though our parents were like, Oh heck no, you don't ever fight with the lady at the church because she runs it and she's right. Like that lady is nuts. Mom, you tell me que yo estoy loca. That lady is like crazy too. <laughs> and I love that to see my point with yeah. it. Like the book is so loaded and it's like, we're always having to kind of find the happy line between being respectful and kind and loving it about our tradition. But also we don't have to take shit or just be a certain way because of authority figures or culture or religious fear and guilt. And I just loved that. I was just thinking about that. I was nodding my head kind of thinking about like, this book takes you everywhere. Like not just in Marido, but the freaking person at the church and the neighbor over here, right? Yeah, I think I've talked about him in the podcast before. It's my brother-in-law. He's a Catholic priest and we don't see it. And by we, my husband and I. And so, you know, we get into a debate and um, more him because it's like between brothers and historia y yo de, you know, uh, opinionated wife on the side and and maybe he and he's super conservative. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, and acknowledges me like eso sí, sí me respeta mucho. Um, and um, okay. but it's like you know we 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 can agree to disagree because he was brought up um, in the church and um, had another training, and so I understand that I see that. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to agree or see religion the same way. You know, mm-hmm. one of our guilt-free squad members um, during the chat talked about how when she went to her church and there was a new priest that was super conservative because she's like, yo me voy de aquí. Y se fue a buscar, you know, a priest that was more liberal and she was okay with, you know, the the way he he um, managed you know, his sermons and whatnot. So I think, I think it's about that, about creating that balance and understanding like, Hey, you know what? I don't, or even you, Irene, you were saying how, uh, when you were in your sabbatical trip abroad, how you went to church every Sunday, but you and Diego were like, Oh my God, is this padrecito y su sermón? Heck no. You know, so understanding that like, <laughs> estamos aquí, you know, porque I feel good coming to church, but it doesn't mean that I have to agree with what the priest is out there saying, you know? And I think one of the good things that came out of the conversation too about church and the <laughs> eulogy of the sermon, it's like um, now that some of us are parents, now that some of us are parents, you know, like for me, like I went to church, I went to Catholic school, first grade all the way through high school. So, you know, religion was part of our, our classes and, it, you know, we studied it. We read the Bible. We went to church during the week. And then I had to go to church on the weekends, on Sundays, and then also part of the youth group and be part of the choir. The thing is that like, you, you know, you come across conversations that you're like, I don't agree with that. And I, one thing that I liked about our church was that it was okay to disagree or question, you know, we had really good priests there that were willing to engage in that kind of conversation. They wouldn't disregard your comments as like, you're just a a freaking kid. Like, you know, go figure it out. Like, no, God is all omnipotent and he will strike you down. And the beautiful part was like, no, God is, you know, all loving unconditional love from, from God. And it's good that you have questions. It's good to find out, you know, 
how God would, and they were never like, he will do this. It was, you know, I, I ring when you, when you were talking about your, el escudo de su familia, you know, your, your coat of arms, um, at, at our school, like the priests would be like, they wouldn't necessarily say he either. They'd be like, they would just say, God is loving. God is this. And they were never like, he, he, he. So I've always felt like God could be anyone in anything, you know, and, and he's, it's the universe. And if you want to believe in God, believe in God. If you want to believe in the universe, it's the universe. Um, but the, the thing is that at the same time, you know, religion, even though let's say your particular experience is very like open and open for discussion, there's still things that I think the community brings in where it kind of holds you back. Right. Um, being a woman, being a Latina, being a woman of color, you know, it really hinders, um, the certain, the way they receive the message is like, the woman is always the Magdalene. The woman is always the one that's the issue for some reason. And I feel that that part of it has to change. And I think that's one of, well, I mean, along with having gone to church so often as a young kid, now I feel like I don't need to go to church. I understand. And but the point is that if I were to go to back to church and with my kids, finally baptize them and finally, you know, do their sacraments, um, it's open communication with our children too. It's having discussions with our kids, not just the priests, you know, and the people involved. Casi no hay, ya no hay monjitas. I don't know por qué casi no hay monjitas ahora en los días. I mean, it's all good. But we have, you know, it, it's it's like having these conversations and being like, look, you know, we don't agree with this. And as a family, I feel that it's important for us to talk about and really believe that, you know, we need to open up to think about things this way. And there's not one particular way. So raising our kids and being moms does put a different perspective on things. And I think that having parents with open communication and really sharing about these perspectives and opinions that might be brought upon us through, let's say, church, um, that get discussed with our kids because they might have questions too, like, what the hell are these people talking about, you know? And, and also, the book is very deep in sense, in the sense of, like, not just questions about religion and questioning religion, but racism, like, being deeply aware of it and understanding it. I think it challenged, the book challenged us to think about where racism was in our lives, where we were complicit with racism, where we were, like Vettel said early on in the call, if you're white passing, where you had privilege, and so you were allowed into certain spaces, you're not judged or labeled. So church has that same sort of heaviness where you can question it and not completely align and change that with the generation to come. But so does all these other issues around, you know, she talks about volunteerism and like using it as a way to pump yourself up as a, as a, as a white person, as an American person. And you're not really helping people. You're just using them to make yourself feel better and you're exploiting them. And so this book goes everywhere with stuff that we need to generationally shift. The religious stuff, the stuff that's just our ego, that's perpetuating more racism. I think one of the most powerful points in the book is when she stands up to her white boyfriend, eventual husband's family, who's clearly racist. I, I want that to like resonate with me forever because I think one of the hardest things to do is when you're aware, you're aware, and then it comes with a responsibility. Like, dang it. Like, now I got to be responsible for this, right? In a good way, right? Like, now I get to be a better person for real. Like, the next time you witness racism, are you just going to nod and sort of walk away in shame and not stand up for it, right? The book challenges us. That's her. Like, she's she's hardcore in the best way possible. This author is like, I am practicing when I preach. And she gave her relatives one shot, one shot. And then the second time, those white relatives 
presented as racist again, and she dug in and, and rightfully so and, and challenged them and made them uncomfortable. And how many of us, tip of the day is to think about that. How many of us would be willing to challenge the racist neighbor, PTA mom, best friend's parent, uh, in-law, like we see it every day. It's around us every day. The system is already rooted in racism. Like, would you be down to call it out? You should be. We have to be. I love that the book is calling us to be bigger in that way. Like we have got to cut this shit out. And that's kind of your point, right? That like the next generation doesn't have to just follow suit and get in line with the Catholic religion. What if you don't baptize your kids? Cool. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to be Catholic. Y'all no, no, me yeah, no. <laughs> but that's your upbringing. Totally like, no, at some point I think I have to, like I baptize all my kids, right? But why, like when, where can we decide that? No, like we don't want to go that route. Like, we can decide, too, that generationally, a lot has to change. Yo también, I was raised Catholic. Um, we, I mean, we, we go to church on, on Sundays for the most part. There's days that we don't. But we also chose to baptize our girls. I think, um, you know, there's a balance. There's balance. We 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 were brought up that way. Um, and I'm not, you know, there was a certain time in, in, in me growing up, probably my teenage years, that we were at church all the time. My mom era, um catequista pero for the kids that are doing their uh, confirmation she was doing that she was uh in the in the church's um guitar group learning how to play the guitar with the priest that was teaching them uh, we were in the youth choir también and i was and now that i think back of it uh, on it i mean I was like, I wonder why only during that period of time we were so involved. Um, and, and then years later we weren't. And, um, you know, my, my mom is también católica and, and, you know, she goes to church probably around the same, same amount that I go. Um, pero se pone a rezar, se pone a rezar todos los días, you know, a certain time. Uh, yo no soy así, pero sí si, si rezo también. Rezamos todas las noches con las niñas. Um, anyway, just to show that you know, we were brought up this way, but we, we get to choose, like, do, do we want to bring up our kids that way or, or we don't, you know? And, and, and si quieres bautizar a los tuyos, cool. And if not, you know, whatever. De que Nada quiero, pasa. quiero. De que quiero, Nada quiero. Pero quiero. por lo menos en que ahorita estamos rezando. Sí. I love it because Joaquincito would be like, mami, mami, y que no seamos tontos. Okay, mijo, and just pretend like nothing happened. Okay, this little fool just said tontos. Okay. Y que no seamos tontos, Diosito. Cuídanos, que seamos valientes, inteligentes, you know. But like, they like to pray. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to force them to do something. But I know I want to baptize them. It's just like the timing has to be right. Um, but to feed off of what you mentioned something earlier, I mean, like stand up the tip of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Be able to stand up and say mm -hmm. something. We know it takes courage. We know that as it is, you might be already struggling to stand up for yourself, mm -hmm. to say something and, and really step up, like, you know, and, and defend yourself. But if you feel that it's more comfortable to do it while you're defending someone else, then go for it. If you're still working on you, that's fine. You know, you'll, you'll learn your boundaries. You'll learn where to set your limits. You'll know where to feel comfortable and brave and find the courage to finally say, no, enough with me. But if you do feel that you're comfortable standing up for someone else, do it. Do it. And that will bring courage to your own personal situation for when you're facing whatever challenge or difficulty or someone making you uncomfortable or saying something that's hurtful or, you know, making you feel less than then you can, you know, you'll slowly find that courage to really step up and be like, Una hasta aquí, enough is enough. And I am this new person and I want you to treat me with respect. Um, not because, um, you know, not because maybe you think I don't deserve it or anything, but I am a human being and I'm asking you to treat me this way because this is how I want to be treated. 
So it takes courage. Here, all of that takes courage. I know it's telling you guys offline, off air that, you know, it's crazy when we were growing up. Like, um, I grew up in Watts. I grew up, it was at the time it was still predominantly black. Now there's a, a good, you know, mix of Latino and black, um, families. But, um, I remember the kids, like the black kids were always telling me like, one day I'll be a taco eating Mexican. And the next day I'll be a white girl. So it got to the point where I was like, all right, you guys just need to stop and make up your freaking minds and how you really want to insult me because I'm not insulted by, you know, because being a taco eating Mexican, because yeah, I eat tacos and I am Mexican and all this stuff. So I really owned it. And then I'm like, but I'm not a white girl. But if you guys think you're insulting me by calling me a white girl, go right ahead. But just make up your minds because y'all crazy. And this is where the part also that kicks in of like white passing and all of this, like, you know, there's parts of us that get erased. Like, um, I think many times if you don't look a certain way, people won't assume you're, you know, they'll assume you're what they think you are. And, you know, we easily let go of, I think, our our, our, our culture and our, our, our upbringings, like our the things that really make us who we are because it's easier than having to explain things, than having to tell them like, no, at home we eat beans and at home we eat this. And because people might not understand that. But then this is where we suffer by erasing parts of us. We don't know who we are. We cannot be our authentic selves. And then we it hinders us by becoming the people we should be becoming, you know, that people that we know we are inside and being, we always talk about being authentic and then going into the, you know, going out into the real world and, and sharing who we are with that world. And then we suffer from imposter syndrome. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Like I remember talking to one of my clients where she said that, you know, with her dad, like she knew her dad by his English name in a sense, right. And all his stuff, had his name on it. And she's like, I remember my dad going to work and he always wore his construction boots every day, except Sundays. She's like, on Sundays, he would wear his botas, you know? And and on that day, like he looked like who my dad was, you know, Jesus, and, you know, he was Jesus. And she's like, but every other day he was Jesse. Every other day he was Jesse. And I was like, dude, like, how are we supposed to grow up being so confident of who we are and believing a hundred percent in who we are? And sharing it when even our family, our parents have had to hide their true identities and acoplarse to make it, to make it in this country. You know, that's just a lot. I, um, that reminds me of my father-in-law. He, I mean, he's, he's a truck driver. He wears his construction, construction boots all week. Pero el, el domingo a misa, sus botas, la tejana no se la pone porque no entra. Pero si, if there's another activity or, or, or family gathering, se pone sus botas y su tejana. And I love that about him. Um, and he's the type of person that, um, you know, he'll, he'll, I want, he will, um, talk about his family and his kids and to his um co-workers and he comes back and he says he's like no me creen you know me dicen ay germán you know tú te haces you know ilusiones and i was like oh, pues usted no les haga caso you know i i'll say things like that or um i, for, I forgot exactly one day what he was talking about y le dije yo suegro pues ese es su trabajo you know usted you know póngase a hacer x cosa le y ese es su trabajo, usted, usted, you know, just, you know, be grateful for that. Something along those lines, ni me acuerdo. But he always remembers that. And he always says, pues como dijo Ceci, you know, como dijo Ceci. And so for Christmas, I got a shirt sure that says como dijo Ceci. Yes, I love that. That is so cool. He loved it. I was like, I, I did it. I was like, 
So I was like that conversation that we had, I felt like we were just, it was just in passing, but I feel like it, um, it um, resonated so much with you. And now you always bring it up. So I felt like this was like a really good gift for you to wear and, you know, show it off. And if someone at work or even when you're running, ask like, ¿Quién es ese? Mi nuera. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and show it off and show off your, 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 um, your nietas and your, and your kids. Y si no le creen, pues allá ellos, ustedes that's a beautiful story, Cecilia, and it kind of illustrates like our responsibility to the next generation because Prisca talks about that a lot in the book where like her name, her name, like by the way, Vettel said it effortlessly. It's like a beautiful way that she said the whole name plus the whole name of the book. And Prisca says like that's on purpose like, that her name is this long. Like she sure she could have made it simpler for the reader. That's not her responsibility, right? And she says, us as Latinos, we simplify things, right? And we we change and nos acoplamos, como dices tú, and then we don't get to be who we are because we're kind of being told that, oh, yeah, right, right, or, oh, that's too difficult. What's What do people really call you? No, my name's Prisca. You're going to call me Prisca. And I guess her name was changed to Priscilla because that was easier for the American tongue to say, and she went, heck no, I'm going back to Prisca. And it's not just Prisca. It's Prisca, Dorcas, Mojica, Rodriguez. Like, be you. Like, put it on the T-shirt. Like, be you. And if people call you nuts and crazy and judge you, let them. So I think it's really cool for the next generation to have examples like that. Like, your example of showing, like, it's dream big, suegro. And her example of saying, like, don't change for anybody. This is your name. She said, purposely give your kids difficult names. I've always in my back of my head kind of felt like, I wonder if my kids are going to mind that as they grow up. Like, Sofia has such a Latino name, and I'm proud of that. And I hope that she's proud of that. Like, Sofia Marcela Quevedo, like, for show. Like, that's a Latino name. And I wanted that for my kids. And the smoke only reaffirmed, like, yes, take up space. Like, we don't have to make it simpler for anyone else. We don't have to be different for anyone else, even though they are going to judge us, right? And not believe in us or whatever that is. So thank you for being the example for the next generation, even just owning your long ass name or whatever it is. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Like it's traditionally Latino. Like we carry two names and that's traditionally Latino. And why the hell do we stop doing that for the sake of the American culture? Like yeah. carrying yeah. both names. Like it made me really encourage me. Like I would, I would always tell my husband that I was going to write a book in my maiden name. And he's looking at me like, why would you do that? Like, why would you erase me in Quevedo? And I always felt that it's because, and I'm sure I said this in the podcast, I feel so Sanchez in the stories that I would tell. But this reaffirmed that, no, I'm both. You don't have to choose. I don't got to make it easier for an American audience. They'll need to have to say Sanchez y Quevedo y que. Right, be you, como dijo Ceci, be you. I remember last thing I'll say about that is I was once talking to my suegra and I felt she was hiding. We were in Puerto Rico and she was like on the phone and I felt she was hiding and I'm like, what is she doing? Mm. And I was kept trying to walk back to the group and walk back to the group and I'm like, what is this lady doing? Like, why does she keep like in circles and I'm with her and I'm trying to walk back to the group. And and so I think I even said like, oh, let's go this way towards them. And she's like, no, es que es que es mi esposo cuando estando. She was on Facebook. Cuando van al face, like she tried to hide being on Facebook because the husband judges her. And I'm like, ¿eso qué importa? Si usted quiere estar en Facebook, ¿qué importa? And so it's kind of like that attitude of like, who cares? I know it's so much easier for us to say it. And we have a different relationship with our husbands. And I, but that always resonated with her. And that day she was like, sí. <laughs> and like, I don't know, she's like, como dice Irene, pero como dices tú, like, or sí, Irene, tiene razón, or whatever he said, Irene, she calls me Irene. And she proudly went back to in front of her husband. I'm sure she felt a little ballsy in front of her husband because she mm. like she'll say no importa, right? And she was on Facebook, like in front of her husband at the beach. And I'm like, I can't believe that you have to hide that you want to be like the rest of us trolling, but your judgment, your judgment, right? And but it all she always brings that up, like that. I kind of yeah. was like, who fucking cares if you're online? Let's, I, I'm tired of standing over here with you. Shit, like go be you in front of your old school ass husband. Right? Yeah. She likes social media. Get her shirt that says como dijo Irene. 
<laughs> I was going to ask you, Irene, if people call you Irene, if, they, if everyone calls you Irene or they go Irene, because I know I call you Irene, you're probably like, don't fucking call me that. Like, you I know? love it. I love so. it. I love when people call me Irene. And I have told my Guatemalan family a thousand times, just call me Irene, just call Isaiah Isaias. But for some reason, they all try to pronounce my name Irene, Irene, Irene. And I think my mother-in-law has always wanted to call me that. And she spells it like wrong every time. I think I told you guys that every time she texts my name, it's spelled different. It's just Irene, guys. Like it's, Irene and Irene are spelled the same. But I love when people call me Irene Vero. I love it. I love when it happens in like public spaces. My mom is like the only one that really calls me that. Sissy calls me that. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, I always I go back to, and forth. Yeah. yeah, I always loved calling Ceci her full name, Cecilia Alejandra Pulido Garcia. But now she's Ceci Alejandra Rodriguez Pulido. I mean, there you go. I I I took out Pulido because I felt like my whole name was like so long con Rodriguez. Like that's why I took it out. I'm like looking. I'm, I'm talking as I'm looking up at my diplomas that don't have my new last name. They say Pulido um, because I felt like my name was too long. If I was gonna add. I mean Rodriguez and then how Prisca says that here they only go by like the last last name I was like oh it's gonna be una revoltura so I yo por fin me di middle name yo por fin me di middle name yo me lo hice más largo so I was lucky that I didn't have a middle name once I married but I'm not hyphenated and that's one of the problems he's my husband's like please it's not hyphenated can you just stop using the burgos but i'm like no that's who i am and you are part of me now too and i'm a part of you now we are our own thing but i'm like it's i am veronica burgos Gudiel. like that is I who it. i am and and if i could add another name let's do it but you know like thankfully for now like i feel that it really just like my kids are even like oh we are burgos and this is why we're burgos you know and you know, so it's it's so important to like it reminds us of who we are, like our names, so simple. And for me, like I'm very grateful that my parents are always like, "Tú cuando te digas tu nombre, dilo dilo en español." So to this day, I'm always like Veronica, Veronica. And then if they don't get, I'm like, you know, like Veronica, but in Spanish, Veronica. Oh, okay. Japanese people never have a hard time with Veronica. They love it even. It's easier for them to say it too. They're like, oh, okay. But once I say Veronica for them, they're like, huh? So, Veronica, and I feel like I've always felt like my name was very like, uh, you know, like Veronica. But I'm like, no, it's like, this is who I am. Let's do this. I remember having this conversation with Lisette. Do you guys remember when she was like, I always say my name in Spanish, like, you know, and then she happened to be on the phone with an Amtrak. And then she goes, <laughs> um, they're like, she's like, Aurora, Aurora. And then she's like, Aurora Lazat. <laughs> and then it was like, we were like, ah, no que no. You know, it's like, but only so much, right? Was, you know, people are not going to understand. But how they say it, they can say charcuterie, they can say your name. Okay. Our last name is like that. Because Sanchez, it was so easy to grow up with a name like Sanchez. You know, there's like white passing and there's like last names that are very wide and mass appealing. So when I became Quevedo, it was more difficult. But I love that it's always been Quevedo. No matter what, it's Quevedo. There's no English pronunciation. I tell the kids there's none. And they correct teachers all the time. And people do their very best. But it's like Quevedo is Quevedo. Like there's no English form of it. Like Sanchez, even my Sanchez. It's just the English form that people use and it's so mass appealing. But I kind of like that it gives you trouble when you have to, when I have to say it to like people on the phone, all the letters sound the same. Q-U-E-V-E-D-O. They all have that E sound. They all sound the same. People mess it up all the time. I've been Quevada. I've been Cavito. I've been like all these things. But this book really makes you embrace that. Like screw it. Figure it out. It's your job. If you have to fill out the form 10 times because you are not catching how my name is spelled and because it's not mass appealing. Figure it out, Mr. Person on the other line that needs mm -hmm. to figure out how to spell Spanish names or even Asian names. Like, we think that we have a struggle. Hard. Like, mm -hmm. Asian people completely change their name. They literally completely change their name. 
That is Why? insane. Imagine. Why do we have to do that? We have, right? Why do we have to be the ones assembling? Nosotros willingly, we willingly started naming our kids Edwin and, or Kevin and, you know, all these other names, but it's okay. But, you know, I feel that is that pressure to assimilate, to become part of this culture that is rejecting us so often. And it's yeah. like, no, like there's, you know, I know we've gone on for a little while and we're going to wrap it up soon, but I wanted to mention the part of where she says, and it's early on in the book, but how a lot of the way to just, you know, to identify yourself had been erased, right? In her, in Carawa. So there was the mestizo or mostly most common mulatto. But she's like, I, by saying I'm mestiza, I am negating the blackness of my family, my ancestry. You know, she knew she had a black grandmother and a great grandmother and all that. So she's like, by saying I'm mestiza, I'm negating that part. It's like, I'm, I'm rejecting it. But she's like, and I'm not a mulata either because that, that's a different meat. But she's like, by eliminating all these different, like the zambo and all these different ways to identify yourself has really created her like this, like this, um, this dissonance, right? So I feel like with us now, like I know that when we're checking boxes, we're trying to be more conscious about it. Like it brought me to present day. And I remember we were filling out the census and, you know, we're homeowners and we're proud homeowners. We've worked our asses off for this, right? And we want to check the box that says that, you know, show that we are ethnically different, right? That we're not white. Um, and we can't be Native American either. So it's like, but don't force me into checking a box that I know I'm not. I know I'm not white. So how do I, it's such a like fight because you're like, well, everyone else sees me as white because, you know, that's the way it's been established. But how do we create that box that really shows who we are? And I'm not saying that we need 15 different ones, but at least more options to where we're not taking away from the Native Americans and we're not automatically just complying to being one specific thing because then where's representation there? You know, where is that representation? So that also triggered me when it's like the erasing of how to identify because then it's like, what causes you be lost again? There you go. These limit being limited. So I don't know if that caught that resonated with any of you but for me i was like i'm not white the whole damn book resonated yeah oh I, can't wait, I can't wait to read another book with the guilt-free squad we won't do yeah. next month but listeners if you want to recommend a book or are really jazzed about this book still and you've read it you want to chime in or share please do but i think that it was really helpful today reading with the group in fact one of the girls that couldn't make it today that was really jazzed is reading this book y'all and i got it for christmas have you oh, guys read I'm not? Yeah, I, I listened to it. like Mexican uh, daughter? ¿Te gustó? A year. Me gustó. So, yeah, okay, perfect. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give it to Sophie. Um, that, that was my niece's gift that she said, first you and then your daughter. So we're going to do more of this, I think, Vero. I think that perfect. we'll do a couple of books a year. I mean, I think it, it was definitely deep, and it was beautiful. Yeah, we needed that. We needed some delving into our, you know, who we are and get those, you know, those feelings and uh, out, you know, that we don't usually get to share them. And books like these really make us question things. They really make us become more proud of who we are. And it's como they say, you can't, you can't go into the future if you don't know your past. And we need to know who we are for real, for real, 100%. So Prisca Dorcas, Mojica Rodriguez, muchas gracias. This has been an amazing book to read. It like reignited. We are eternal. There's this little flame that's not going to go out, baby. We are eternal. Thank you so much. It's beautiful. Um, if any of you out there have not read it, read it. It's a great book. We didn't give much away in here. This conversation just kind of was all over the place, but it's like little things that really came from this book. Um, so we thank you for joining us on this podcast episode. Um, we're very, very thankful. 
for all of you for always tuning in and, you know, giving us feedback. So um, the next one, if you have, you want to keep the conversation going, or if there's a book, like Irene mentioned, that you want us to read or check out or review, let us know. We'd be happy to do so. You can always send us an email. We're available at admin at levelloflatina.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at levelloflatina. We are also on Twitter at latina underscore up. And yeah, I mean, if there's anything else that you ladies want to talk about before we leave or chime in before we did, I forget anything. I think we're good, right? I think we're good. I just wanted to say this book makes me love you girls even more. Be so happy to have you even more. I mean that with all my heart. Like I feel like, oh my God, I have the girls, at least like somebody that I can be like feeling these feelings with and having real friends and we don't have to be perfect with each other. We can be honest with each other. We can, even us, we're still sharing things with each other that has taken us 40 years to share. Uh -huh. If we didn't no. have this, if we didn't have this, we put it on the shirt. We are best friends too. If you have yes, emotions, you. Up, please, please reach out to us with your emotions. You don't have to feel your emotions by yourself. You don't. So no están solas. Gracias again. Gracias again. Me and my amino Spanglish right now. Thank you I so love much. It. <laughs> she loves it. English is the shit. She loves it. We are Spanglish and I love that about us. We are iconic in the space. We were just meeting with somebody else who's iconic in the space and she was reminding us that Level of Latina, this podcast, we have to remember the space that we're taking up and what when we were created, there was nothing like Level of Latina in the podcast market. So uh taking Congratulations. Up iconic iconic damn tooting my own horn right here Dang. girl and with that we'll leave you tutu bye Irene Irene English name Irene my boss my former boss used to call me that Zero says and Irene bye 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 b